0: Welcome to the Writer Dojo,
1: your host, Steve Diamond. We're back at Backstreet.
0: And Larry
2: Korea.
1: I'll be back. Today's
2: episode, Tweet Mashable, round four, and just once.
1: Everybody, welcome to the Writer Dojo. Today we have a special treat for you. As you probably gathered from some of our earlier Twitter postings and um, Facebook postings asking for, for bad writing advice, because it's been too long, everybody, since your speakers have been blown out by Larry. So look, we were looking through stuff. Larry was looking through like writers of Twitter and writing advice on Twitter, and you know that's hive of scum and villainy. But I think what we're finding is that he's been proactively blocked by half the known world.
2: Yeah, it's funny because Steve was like look for like thirty minutes, and I look for thirty minutes before we recorded tonight. And I didn't see any of these. I'm scrolling through and I'm like, "Ah, oh, this is boring. And It's mostly people. I'm so great. You're so great. I love you. And, you know, and I was like, that's okay. Whatever. Whatever you need to get your self-esteem. But then Steve's mm-hmm. like, man, I'm finding all this horrible advice." I was like, how come? And there's apparently because most of these people have
1: preemptively blocked me because I'm on Must like all be. those auto block lists. So look, guys, all of these things I found, I think we're going to go over like six or seven. I found these all today in like 30 minutes. Dude, I can't like just just the sheer vapidness of these of these categories. Yeah. I can't like like these these people are like bad used car salesmen.
2: The the purpose of this episode, guys, is we're going to go through some of this hucksterism and and kind of like Set you on a course of actual
1: professional success, yeah, as opposed to this weird bullcrap. Because some of this is really bad advice, for one, and some of it is just bad mental makeup.
2: Yeah, some of this is just setting yourself up not just for failure as a writer, but for failure as a human. Yeah well that's right. kind of twitter though so uh, we do need to twitter. issue a trigger warning going in yes yeah, a trigger warning apparently when i do bad i always use the same voice for my bad twitter internet uh, writing advice and apparently if your headphones are not ready for that it can be a little little shocking so
1: and it, and and to mike massa out there you have specifically asked that i not mumble as much at the end of exchanges sorry dude i'll try but you know whatever dude oh man i love mike but i don't think mike realizes like a lot of times
2: like when steves mumbling at the end of this cuz we it's like recording our fifth or sixth session of the evening
1: so like this is this is the earliest i've got off of work in 2 weeks <laughs> i only worked 10 hours today so oh, all right mike i love you we love you mike all right you ready let's do this okay oh everybody For the next just smidge, you might want to dial it down just a little. Just saying. Here we go. The
2: best writers have A, a mental health concern, B, a traumatic past, C, a socially acceptable addiction, or is there a better personality combination, dot, dot, question mark? Oh...
1: What you guys don't know is, from where I'm sitting, I can see the recorded waveform of this, and it's just this giant wall. Of I'm sorry. Sound.
2: There's no such thing as the. Uh, there's no. There's not a quiet version of the bad advice. You may want to try that tonight. I will try a quiet version of the. Bi- we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how you. it works. Okay. So all let's right. break this down, Steve. The best writers have a a mental health concern, b a traumatic past, or c a socially acceptable addiction. Or is there a better personality combination?
1: Yes, none of the above.
2: <laughs> you know, I hate this so much. There's this dumb, dumb stereotype that writers have to be like these tormented souls. Yeah. Or if we're not like a dark and tormented soul, how can we be a great artist and all that bullcrap? Yeah, that's trash. That's trash. I'm sorry. You know what that comes from is the most famous authors were oftentimes hedonistic douchebags. And it's like... And they're all dead. <laughs> you know, sometimes of, you know, self-inflicted shotgun blasts.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, look, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, Stephen King, uh, when he's on, isn't like an amazing author. He is.
2: Oh, he's he's a very good wordsmith. Philip K. Dick.
1: Oh, yeah. What, Brilliant Was dude. one that was super imaginative. Frank Herbert. Oh, yeah. dude, dude, Dude wrote a couple good things, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. You know, look. A lot of these people, yeah, they were good. They were good authors, right? But to say that only the best authors fall into these categories of these things—foolishness—it's complete foolishness. You're, I mean, you know what else is pretty cool? Not having any of those things and having a work ethic. Yeah, that works too.
2: You know, I like. I've been. I've been married for twenty-three years now. Happily married for twenty-three years. I've got four kids. Yeah, I'm at 21. Uh, two, two, two have already reached adulthood and they're responsible adults. One has almost reached adulthood. And then my youngest is doing fine. And yeah, he's 10. Yeah. And you know, so my life is like pretty good. I work. I write books. I make people happy. I got lots of fans. I get paid good money. I don't, you know, drink absinthe <laughs> by yeah. the gallon.
1: You know, I all don't have th- severe mental illness. All three of those things. And look look, if 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 you're struggling with any of those three things, like obviously, like go get professional help. Yeah, that's your thing. don't don't celebrate this stuff. Go get Yeah, go get help. Go get help. Because all those things, you know what happened if I had those things, Larry? I'd get fired from my job. And you know what my job does? Probably, especially the cocaine part. I, yeah, definitely that part. Um I don't think anyone at work would actually partake with me. Nope. So all of those things, like they would get me fired. And it turns out I like having my job because it pays me money. Yeah. And that money affords me a pretty good life during which when I'm not at work, I can work on writing. You know what this is, Steve? This is that, this is that
2: romancing Kurt Cobain. Ugh. You know what I mean? That's what this is. And it's like, he was so brilliant, such a tormented soul. You know, and then Courtney Love blew him away. So. <laughs> I mean, if that's the tech you want to, if that's the route you want to say that went, I'm not, no, and that, that, that was that was said in jest. Please don't sue me. Um, okay, but to be fair though, I don't have any mental health concerns. I do actually have a traumatic past to be fair, but I'm not a flake about it. I mean, I, had, I didn't have like the happy, fun, rosy, good time childhood, but I mean, I'm not a dork about it. Just like the, the deal ass- with your crap and move on.
1: The assumption here is that- um Only the most tormented soul can create. Well, you know what? Um, Everybody has their burdens to bear. And it's not up to me and it's not up to anyone else out there to be like, oh, that person's burden's worse than mine or my burden is way worse than theirs. Like, you know what? Maybe if I had their burdens or they had my burdens, we'd be even worse off. Yeah. And the thing is, a burden is just a burden. Everybody's got something. It doesn't mean you're a good
2: writer or not. The socially no, acceptable addiction is, us uh, to be fair, caffeine for all
1: of us. I, I'm all, I'm only alive right now because of caffeine. I,
2: I don't know a single writer that has doesn't have caffeine addiction. So that yeah. that that was our first one. That was pretty horrific. <sighs> okay. Oh, they get better. These Steve found all these today, dude. This took me so little time. And how many <sighs> how many how many aspiring authors I wonder have been ruined by Twitter. Oh, I don't even like know, Like good man. people who would have been good authors if they hadn't I mean, been exposed to this stuff. What's
1: the What's that quote from from Billy Madison? Like Uh we're no all s- we're all stupider for yeah. having listened to what you said, and, may, and god may god, god have, have mercy, mercy <laughs> on your soul. Like, yes. That's seriously how I felt after 30 minutes trolling these threads. I'm oh. so sorry everybody. Here's the next one. This
2: one actually I'm going to I want to try quiet bad oh. writing advice voice because this one actually works for that.
1: Oh, okay, great. Let's see how this goes.
2: So, we're going to go from uh, romanticizing uh, awfulness to and mental illness to romanticizing, uh, I'm thinking depression. <laughs> Here we go. Everyone else got writing burnout? Well, I want to write. I know what I want to write. I know how the, ire, how the story will flow. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. But I need a break. <laughs> Sobs in writing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, he struggled a nice line between sad and pathetic. Oh, it was so pathetic. Oh, gosh. All right. Okay, so in in episode zero of this, uh, of, of of season three, we talked about how there's no ideal time. If you're always waiting for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything you'll done. Ne- there's, there's never a perfect time to write. I mean, it's... It's not like I'm less busy right now than I was like a year ago. No, you just- In fact, I'm more busy and yet I'm doing more writing now.
2: You simply rise to the occasion or you do not. Yeah. You know, there's not a perfect occasion. I mean, there's always going to be something. But this thing about, who, did anyone else get writing burnout? Yes,
1: literally everybody who's ever written a book ever in the history of the universe. Yeah. Happens. It, it, yeah. I've yet to meet a person who's not like- who loves every second of everything that they've ever written ever and want to do it all again the next day forever and eternity. Well,
2: and it's interesting too
1: because we're not Not unique. Not even Brandon does that. Come on.
2: Yeah, we're not unique in this as writers though because every other career field has this too. You could have the funnest job in the world and it's still your job and there's still going to be times where your job is going to kick your butt. Oh, I'm in the middle of
1: accounting burnout right now.
2: Yeah, that's a thing. It really is. It fries your brain. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's NFL players. You're playing in the NFL. You are a professional football player. You're playing a game. You get paid millions of dollars to play a game that you've enjoyed since you were in Pee-wee football. And there are dudes who are addicted to cocaine and hookers because of the stress of their job.
1: Think about the people like those folks on YouTube that stream playing video games because they love video games. Yeah. And they happen to be getting paid. A gajillion dollars to play video games. Those dudes burn out. In fact, they they almost all talk about it. Like, I'm just burned out from doing all this.
2: Yeah. Dude, one of my favorite things in the world is shooting guns. I love shooting guns. But when I was a professional instructor and I spent like every single weekend at the range and one or two nights a week teaching concealed weapons classes, I got to the point where I hated it. I was so tired. And actually, when I got out of the gun business, I went about three or four years where I only shot just – Uh, barely just for to maintain bare proficiency because it lost all its fun. I mean, I still was good at it, but I wasn't doing it front. It wasn't until my kids started getting older and I needed to teach my kids that I actually really started getting back into it and
1: really enjoying it. Burnout happens. I mean, back in the, in the heyday of elitist book reviews, there's one year I read 150 books so that I could review. And at the end of that year, Especially once I tallied up how many words I'd written in terms of reviews. It was like, it was like 120K or 150K. Yeah. So a big, a big novel of reviews. a full legit novel. Dude, I was so burned out at the end of that year. Like I have not once since read like that. Yep. It's too much.
2: It happens. So this one here, uh, to be fair, I'm glad I didn't use the bad writing of voice. This is, no, this is just pathetic. This is pathetic. This is piteous. This is piteous mewling, okay? Because
1: here's the trouble.
2: No I, offense, nameless I person.
1: I don't think. I don't think that that question's asked in good faith.
2: No, this is this, this is, is. Hey,
1: look at me. This is theatrical. I'm a tortured
2: artist. Okay, because here's the thing: like the whole you know um, st- asterisk sobs in writing asterisk. Um, yeah, that's bull crap. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You know what sobs in writing is? I'm the big dumb idiot that just signed up to write a novel and write a nonfiction, my first nonfiction book in one week. I got four yeah. weeks. By the ter-
1: time this airs, you should have turned it in.
2: Yes. And here's the kicker. that You know what that actually gives me? Because it's nonfiction. That gives me two weeks to write 60,000 words and then two weeks to fact check everything and make sure I got all my stats and everything correct. Okay. So cry me a river, nameless you know person.
1: You know what? When, when people actually... Uh, I mean, you look, you and I privately have had very real conversations about these sorts of things, like real, real conversations. Um, and we, we, we don't do that in public. No.
2: And it's actually damaging to your career, too. We've talked about this because we have friends that are professional writers, good writers, but they wear their hearts on their sleeve in public and they, they sob in writer. And what that is is like it's like the death knell of your career. Yeah. Because once you do that your readers kind of lose faith in you
1: and then they're like, eh, you know? I mean, look, I'm all for open honesty and like, like transparency. Oh, me and you on this show, we talk about some. Well, and, and, and I've been, I mean, there's been a couple of times on this show where I've, where I've kind of worn my emotions on my sleeve. Oh yeah. But like that, that's so that you can understand like that we're humans and, and that look, things can be really hard, but. Your attitude here, the attitude of this person. Yeah. I, look, I, this person isn't, isn't negotiating in good faith, basically, with no, this. No, I'm pretty sure this is. If the person was, I'd be, like, I'd be like, look, like, go go talk. I mean, get, hold your chin up. Yeah. Again, it, it was like what I talked about in our gun episode. Yeah. Like, it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to beat yourself up about it. Dude, some of these people, some of these writers go out and
2: touch grass. Okay? No, yeah, seriously. <laughs> get off Twitter. Go, go like you did, like you did a couple months. Oh back. yeah, I had I hit a wall and I, go, I, I had writer burnout. I went to a national park and hung out in a national park in the mountains. Hung out and, with the Bobby Yagas forest. Raven. Yeah, and the ravens came and and I get, I left shiny bolts for the ravens. There go.
1: Okay, so here's okay. our next one. Third, one. We're Third good. one, and then we'll go to break. <laughs> oh, heaven help us all.
2: Oh my gosh, this one gets bad writing advice. There's no pity for here. This, this one. While I seriously appreciate all the agents that are seeking marginalized voices, it makes me feel cheap to have to sell, in quotes, my sexuality to get representation. Anyone else? Happy face with a single bead of sweat? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the the purpose of the book okay so like while I seriously appreciate all the agents that are seeking marginalized voices which that's right that by itself is trash that's a scourge the, the on our is, industry the
1: trouble is there's there's this this particular tweets kind of schizophrenic because it's super bad stuff and then like an actual legit issue
2: yeah that is an actual legit issue that whole seeking marginalized voice you guys know what that is that's not That's not diversity. That's not someone reaching out. That's a cynical New York business capitalizing on current political correctness for a quick cash-in. So even if you are a marginalized voice, they don't give a crap about you. They are using you as a marketing tool. That's it. Now, the second part of that
1: is interesting.
2: Yeah, well, it makes me feel cheap to have to sell my sexuality to get representation. And you know a, what? That's right. Yeah, you know what it is is because if you show up and you're like, "Hi, I'm a straight white dude," right now, pfft, yeah. Oh yeah. well, good hit, luck, kid. Hit the road, Jack. Like that, and and you should feel cheap about it. You know what this? You know what this tweet actually is. Hmm. This tweet is if there's any agents that are reading writers of Twitter. I have a different sexuality and I'm a marginalized voice. Why don't you, uh, why don't you engage? I'm, I'm going yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lure you out Come to have a to conversation. Me. Come to me as my marginalized voice and let's talk about me selling my sexuality. Yeah. Here's the thing. In reality, guys, okay, New York publishing actually cares about this crap. Well, they don't care. They're just cashing in on, on you. They're going to use you and they're going to use you and they're going to throw you in the trash the second you're inconvenient and move on to the next shiny thing. They don't give a crap about your career. They're the most dishonest garbage humans you will ever meet in your life. These people disgust me to the core of my being. Like I can't even convey how vapid, shallow, and provincial
1: they are. I mean, look, we – you and I, um, we write for Bain. Well, Yeah. Which is and, and Bain, which is not in Manhattan. Bain is not in Manhattan, <laughs> and they don't care about this stuff. No. So, so we were talking, and, and I and I'm not going to say this person's name out loud, because um, this person just signed a deal with Bain. Um, and by the time this airs, it might be public. I don't know. I assume it will be public. It
2: depends on how long it takes for the contracts Who to go knows? in the mail.
1: Paperwork is crazy. Um, but what the person told me was basically, he was so shocked by the communication he was receiving from Bain um, and the care that they wanted to give him in terms of marketing and how they were wanting to work with him, that he was so impressed with it and how comfortable and, and welcome it made him feel. That's how a publisher should be. They shouldn't be like, well, look, We need to check our quota of diversity boxes, of our mandatory diversity boxes today. Here's the
2: kicker. That's not even our last mandatory diversity tweet.
1: Oh, heaven help us. Okay, look. I gotta take a break or I'm gonna murder myself.
0: We'll be right back. In Agent Omega's scientific worldview, certain things were impossible. And the claim of this tall, imposing alien calling herself McClestra that she came from another universe was impossible. Worse yet, McClestra claimed to be a bounty hunter tracking evil, a shape-shifting perpetrator wielding real, world-shattering magic. Wizardry that could destroy a world or a galaxy. But for all that, it was the gigantic sword on her back that was the true threat to everything Echo and Omega held dear a five-foot-long blade, crowned with a hilt of fabulous gems and precious metals, a sword literally haunted by a spirit that could end galactic civilization, and more. Division One, Book 14, The Bounty Game, is available in Nook, Kindle, and trade paperback wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today.
1: And welcome back, everybody. Um, plot twist. Um, I managed to not stab myself in the face in the break after reading I had these to, things.
2: I had to wrestle the screwdriver from his hand.
1: I mean, I always carry one just in case I need to murder someone, allegedly. Uh, but, you know, um, it was a good day. I didn't kill anyone. And fashion, I, I definitely to, to didn't kill this, myself.
2: In Steve style, it was a screwdriver, but it, had, it was a Phillips head screwdriver, but he sharpened it down to a point and wrapped it in tape.
1: I mean, look, you got to do what you got to do.
2: He's watched a lot of prison movies. I have. Accounting is rough now. You guys don't understand what it's Mm. like there in the streets. It is.
1: So It is. It's hard out there for a pimp.
2: This next one I told Steve, I don't want to use my bad Twitter writing advice voice because I actually feel bad for this guy. Yeah. So he's going to get the naive Twitter writer voice. Oh, nice, nice. (laughs)
1: Introducing naive Twitter voice. (laughs) Here we go
2: the main point of the Twitter writing community isn't to sell books. It's to find amazing people to learn from and support each other on the writing journey. (laughs) So I turned into Charlie, the unicorn. (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. Um, I, you're right, dude. Like I feel bad for this guy. I feel bad for this guy. This one wasn't, he, I think he has he has some some seeds of a of a right idea there. Well, and somebody the idea s- of networking.
2: Somebody sent this one to me on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And my first my first reaction was, you know, I'm not gonna make fun of that guy just because I, I see, yeah, the the camaraderie of like amazing people to support you on your writing journey. That sounds great. That's great. Right.
1: Um Writing community on Twitter is not that place. No, it's actually
2: a horrible cesspool of awful people ripping yeah. each other apart. There was one day in there that they had—I'm not joking—it was like 1,200 1, things about people talking about their pronouns, and like, and like, like. There's never any actual real writing advice. It's all this vapid, freaking used car salesman.
1: That's all it is. Self-help book. Buy my writing book.
2: Yeah. It's like seven habits of ridiculous, dumb idiots. <laughs> you know, it's like, and so, dude, here's the thing. If you were going out to Twitter for your community of any kind.
1: Dude, you're in the wrong place.
2: Yeah, you need to get out more. Okay, you need to get out and actually talk to humans. Go to some cons, not filled with social justice warriors. You know, go go get a writing group of actual humans that aren't vapid. Horrible people who are going to suck up to, you know, own voices, diversity readers. Like I said, touch grass. Uh, Oh, this next one. Dude. This next one's corporate.
1: I'm going to murder someone.
2: This one's corporate. I don't know if I have a corporate bad writing advice. (laughs) Actually, I do. Oh, here we go. See, guys, I I, I GM a lot of games. Oh, nice. (laughs) Here we go. If you have ever wanted to include more diverse characters in your stories, but weren't sure how, then we have the post for you. This month on the blog, we sat down with best-selling author Lauren Blakely. Oh, sorry, I probably should have took that off.
1: Yeah, I don't even know what that is. It doesn't
2: matter. This is actually from Amazon. To talk about writing from outside your experience. How to create authentic characters and storylines. When to call in a sensitivity editor. And why it matters so much. Read the full article here. And I hope that no one clicked here. (laughs) Take care, the ACX team. (laughs) Okay. First off.
1: I'm going to shoot myself.
2: First off. All right. So no offense to whoever this author is. I have no idea who she is. But my only comment on this, and this is coming from corporate America, telling you when you need to call us. uh, Steve, when do you need to call in a
1: sensitivity editor? Let's see. Let's see. Has hell frozen over? Yeah. Maybe. Um, I was going to say uh, gonna never. Say, yeah, I don't think so. About the same time you would go buy a $5 foot long-term Subway, which is never.
2: Could it be Satan? Yes, that's pretty much a sensitivity editor. That is – okay, guys. Sensitivity editors is one of the most evil things in the history of publishing. It's total bullcrap. It's you as an artist, as a creative, giving power over your work to some freaking gender studies major who's never written crap. To tell you how you can and can't make art.
1: Well, no, it's always can't.
2: It's always can't.
1: And they're going to cancel you. Yeah, they're they're never going to be like, oh, good
2: job. Good job, Jimmy. You did the right thing. No, as we've established before, these people, you will never make them happy. No matter what you do, you're always bad. And you could do... And you should feel bad about it. Well, we've gone over this before with the mandatory diversity thing. If you do write another culture, they'll yell at you for doing it wrong. And if you don't write another culture, they'll yell at you for stifling diversity. There's no win, guys. It's sensitivity
1: editors are crap. The only way to win that game is to not play it.
2: Exactly. It's it's war games. It's Mm tic-tac-toe with nuclear weapons. Okay. Don't mess with it. So when to call a sensitivity editor? Never. And why it matters so much? Evil corporate publishing. Gosh dang. Caving in to whining social justice harpies. That's why it matters.
1: I just, I don't understand. I don't understand where people think that just because something is different, that you're not allowed to do it. That you're not allowed to even think about it. And that you need permission to execute it. Like, I mean. It,
2: if I listen to sensitivity readers, son of the black sword would never exist.
1: Well, and half your monster hunter squad would oh, exist.
2: Yeah. Half the monster, half the, half of MHI would not, well, actually none of MHI would exist. True. I mean, it's in Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter that I live there and I'm adopted southerner and know the culture really well. Doesn't matter. Sensitivity, rivers, guys, garbage, evil, run, run away. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's see. There's another one. <laughs> this is what Steve found in 30 minutes. Guys,
0: and one this day. I think
2: all this was posted today. Dude, it's so bad in there. Uh, okay, this is what the writer dojo is for. We're here for you guys' dose of harsh reality.
1: I was having such a good day, guys. Like. <laughs> We're you the, know, I, Steve, I got invited to anthologies. Steve, we're the, uh,
2: we're like, you know, we are here with this This is a self-help episode. We're like the Jordan Peterson of writing podcasts.
1: <laughs> it's going to take abuse. <laughs> we need, we need, we need EVS to come oh. illustrate for us.
2: Yeah. See, it, we actually know really awesome comic book people. So. Dang. All right. So here, this one gets
1: ru- bad okay. writing. <clears throat> okay. Hold on. Hold on. I got to, I got to loosen up. I got to. I gotta psych myself up. Steve, Steve, this is like torture Ooh, for Steve. I gotta listen to "Eye of the Tiger" really quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> all right, all right. Here we go. <sighs>
0: okay,
2: novelists, I haven't done this yet. Parentheses. I have published some short stories. Parentheses. Do I write the entire? It's in caps. First draft of my novel before I edit anything. I'm liking the first ten pages. <laughs> But I am already seeing problems. <laughs> I can't even get through this one. It's so bad. This is like trying to read Daily Unbreaded. Okay, guys. Dude. Dude. Go, okay. The, the, let me, let me try see if you guys can catch the problems here from a professional novelist. Okay, novelists. That would be me, Steve. Okay. We're novelists. Yes, we're, we've done that. We've done it a couple times here. I haven't done this yet. Okay. That, and that's fair. That's, that's fair. That's that, Everyone starts somewhere. I have published some short stories. High five. Great. Good for you. have done that too. Do I write the entire first draft of my novel before I edit anything? Okay. First off, how could you not? But I'm liking the first 10 pages,
0: (laughs) but I'm already
1: seeing problems. (laughs) Okay, guys, guys, guys. Dude, that's 2,500 words. All right. All right. Here you go. Give me an effing break.
2: So, to put this in perspective, that's kind of like asking. I, I'm trying to even find an analogy that works for this. So I'm going on a road trip, Steve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go on a road trip. Fun, we should do it. I'm going to drive to Canada. Oh, nice. From Utah. I'm going to drive from Utah to Alberta, Canada. Seems like a terrible idea, but have fun. Okay. By the time I got to the end of my driveway, my tires fell off. Well, crap. Do you think I should check my car? I mean... Do you really want to get to your destination? I'm just saying. Okay, think about this logically, guys. Okay, novelists. I mean, think about this logically. If you start a project and you are at the very, very, be- okay, 10, 10 pages, that's what, first day? It's, it's,
1: that's 2,500 words. Yeah, so, so it's your first day. Yeah. Or, or two days. Uh, I'm assuming it's double spaced. <laughs> yeah, actually. <If> it's not <laughs> double spaced, that's 5K.
2: Yeah, so let's say this is this is what she's written. So it's in a process, it's going to take her six months to a year if she's fast, which I'm assuming most of these Twitter people aren't cranking books out super quick. Mm. If you have problems in your manuscript in the first 1% or 2% of the manuscript, do you write all the way to the end and then fix the whole 100,000 words? Or do you stop and assess and fix then?
1: Yeah, I just... I just want to murder people, Larry. Okay.
2: This one is like, I I shouldn't even need to explain this as a creative. This is more just such a basic logic, common sense kind of thing that yes, guys, you edit as you go. You edit the whole thing when you're done because then you have a cohesive product and you know like where all your bumps are and where, you know, you know the journey and where to fix and go back in time and correct stuff. And that's the beauty of word processing. You can do that. But this whole thing with, uh, do I wait to the end? No, that's idiotic. Especially if you have
1: problems in the first one percent of your journey. If you have okay, there's a couple of things with this that I that I, I take issue with. One this person doesn't even know what they don't know yet. And it's obvious to me that this person doesn't understand the story that they're writing. Um, look, I again I'm a discovery writer, you're an outliner, but we've both done both things. Yep. Um even in discovery writing, like hardcore discovery writing, I have never once had this problem. Yeah. Not once.
2: That's horrible. Yeah. That's a cry for help. This
1: is, and again, I got to wonder if the person is negotiating in good faith here. I bet you $10 million. Oh, sweet. <laughs> that. It can just be 1.45 and then I can buy the house next to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would bet $10 million,
2: and this is a pretty safe bet, that if I responded to this tweet and be like, hi, I'm Larry Korea, New York Times bestselling novelist, you're wrong and here's why, here's some professional advice. I bet you I would get yelled at by the Twitter writing community. How much would I bet? I mean, uh, well, I mean, this is... Just, uh, no. yeah. That's a safe bet. I guarantee it. Because they don't want actual professional writing advice. They want attention, and they want to pat each other back and tell each other. Because I I, I chimed in on the pronoun thing when they- Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. You can imagine how that went over. Oh, heaven
1: help me. Yeah.
2: Okay, so this is our last one. I think
1: we got one more.
2: Thank goodness. Uh, This is what he found in 30 minutes, people. Guys, it didn't take long. Okay, this one also gets bad advice. These aren't even really bad advice.
1: These are more- Asking for bad advice. Well, it's, it's people who I don't think they actually care about learning like most of our listeners do. These people care about attention.
2: This one's actually a quote from somebody who I'm assuming is a pretentious author. So I'm going to uh, cut out the title of their book so as to not make. Could we try really hard not to like, you know, give call attention
1: to dumb people?
2: Well, we try not to call out bad, you know. <laughs> okay, well, here we go. I never said a word count why write 500 bad words when 10 good ones would be better we talk writing with insert novel title here by author Larry cannot say on the internet
1: <laughs> so hey Larry yeah hey Larry yeah Steve um we're for chumps man we're counsel like, for punks like like you should never track your progress in anything you should just. Go with the flow, dude. Yeah.
2: You know what every single one of my novel contracts has on it? A word count. A specified minimum yeah. word count.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Turns out that's important.
2: You know what every single short story I've ever sold to an anthology has? Word count. Specified word count. And guess what? We're paid by
1: the word in a short story. Yes.
2: Every single Audible exclusive I've ever done, you know what it had on a contract? <sighs> Yeah, specified minimum word count and maximum word count for audio because they don't want to go over that because they're having to hire, hire other people to record and edit all that stuff.
1: Yeah, this is some of that bullcrap. I'm an artiste.
2: Yeah. What that tells me is you don't sell anything or you maybe wrote a book and it was like one of your artistic bullcrap books.
1: Okay. Um, in an earlier episode, we were talking about the, all the short stories I'd written in short order and all the other ones that I still have to write. Yeah, like 12 of them. Like all of them. Um. I was breaking it down by week and I'm like, okay, if I have to turn in story X by this time, I know that this story is going to be roughly in the five to 6,000 word range. So I know that I need to write X number of words per day just to feel comfortable getting it done on yeah. time. This is so
2: dumb because our writers and artistic types, we tend to do this bullcrap where I'm above the world. I, I'm in the world but not of it. You know? And it's like, no, no, if do you want to get paid? Yeah. Do you I mean do you wanna get you wanna make a living? It's like Steve, if you went to your controller job and be like, uh, I, I don't wanna judge my accounting on <laughs> the amount of paperwork I actually get done. No, what's no. what's the point you of You know what?
1: Just if I only do one spreadsheet today, as long as it's pretty awesome, that'll make up for, you know, not getting out a million dollars in billings right now.
2: I, I don't need to reconcile the entire bank account.
1: You know, just one of the accounts in there if because just, it's a good one.
2: If I reconcile just the one that moves me.
1: Yeah. Generally, okay. that'd be the cash account.
2: This is the stupidest thing ever, guys. Yes, of course you set word counts. You set word count goals. You set word count times. You write to a word count goal. You, you just do. This whole, I'm going to lackadaisically move along the river of life. That's not how it works. Not for professionals who want to make a living. That is not how it works. It's, it's like, and it's like you guys think that professional artists don't set goals and don't set quotas it's and like, don't set, like, I need to get the following pieces out the door to my paying customers in certain amount of time.
1: I, I get, let me see here. Let me see.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This one, this
1: guys, this one boggles yeah, my 2%. mind. Okay. Yeah. So that's 2%, right? So they're, they're, they're like, why, why do 500 words when 10 words is good? So you're saying that with 2%, you can make a book just as good as the whole on 2% of it.
2: I phoned in 2%, but it's really good.
1: I mean, okay, okay. So Servants of War is about 150K, right?
2: Yeah, it's like 140, 150K, I think.
1: Okay, so
2: <laughs> 2% of that.
1: I mean, that's 3,000 words. So, yeah. you know what? Larry, why did we write a 150,000 word novel? We could have just written a 3,000 word novel to tell the whole thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it would seems be legit. J- seems legit. It would be just as good.
1: You know what? Um, you know, it, it, it seems would be like-, like this person has 2% of the talent as most people and should get the <laughs> crap off Twitter and do their yeah. freaking job.
2: Yeah. And guys, honestly, 500, I write 500 bad words for this tweet. They all start with F. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's our that that was guys. Just give me an idea. That was tweets from today that Steve gathered in thirty minutes of looking on one hashtag on Twitter.
1: I'm gonna murder someone, dude.
2: And like you said, every single one of these, as a professional artist, is so offensive and dumb and ridiculous and just completely ass backwards.
1: Well, and and the thing is, is there's there. I mean, looking at the number of people within those that are within these quote unquote communities. Like there's a lot of people in them. And if these people are legitimately looking at this stuff and taking this advice and, and learning from these, these very, very self-destructive attitudes, like these hashtags are potentially and likely are ruining Hundreds of writers, of potential writers.
2: There's probably really talented writers who don't know any better and they could have good careers, but they, they, they glom onto this really crap. That's why it offends me. And that's why we'll always do the bad writing voice. Yes. Because I mean, I'm not just bagging on these people. I'm bagging on them because they're actually harming other people. And these are the same people who always time talk about harm and marginalized communities. Mm. You know what a marginalized community is? Good writers. (laughs) (laughs) And they're a minority. Okay, and so don't don't do this to him, guys. This
1: is this is awful. Well, remember back to the Dave Butler episode when we were taught he was talking about acquisitions and stuff. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about all the things that he looked at. And he's like, look, guys, the stuff that comes across my desk is so bad. Some of it. I mean, the vast majority of it is so bad that if you're if you're even halfway good, you're going to stand out so hard from all these other people so look that's all the time we have for you today um i need to go you know put bleach in my eyeballs um, i'm gonna give him his
2: shiv back frack
1: so uh we'll see you on the next one everybody and again thank you for joining us on the Rider dojo
2: Rider dojo is steve diamond and larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hare Studios.
0: Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast,
2: you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the writer dojo email ads at writerdojo.com all questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com
1: yeah those
0: painful they're <laughs> so awful dude I can't I can't handle the vapidness I don't, you know, drink absinthe.